There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. This time last week, uh, we were down here and you could, well, you could hardly hear us, basically, because of the Boca roar that was going around this place. Uh, that was uh, just in a few hours after the uh, uh, end of the Rugby World Cup final. Things a little different this week for one reason or another. Uh, obviously, there are restrictions in place uh, for the next hour or so uh, in many distilleries uh, around town. So we're expecting the crowds to start coming in uh, down here at Barasta, where the game is always on. Talking of games, we've got five in the Premier League for you from six o'clock. One underway at the moment. Details on all of those. Uh, good schedule up in Scotland in the Championship and across Europe as well. So we're all over those games between now and nine o'clock. Plus, uh, back to the Gallagher Premiership Rugby. Big game for Gloucester fans out there today. Might be being a bit selfish. Uh, they're playing Saracens in just a little while. Uh, we've got Afghanistan taking on the West Indies in cricket. Lots of boxing to talk about later on in proceedings as well. Rafa Nadal at the ATP finals as well. How long will he go? Uh, will his injury affect him? We'll have a little look at that one for you. We talk uh, American sports between now and the close of play. And as always, we ask you for your thoughts and opinions. Please feel free to send them through to us by texting us on 4001. Having your say uh, online at Dubai I 1038FM, at Dubai I Sport, and at Barasti Beach. This is The Grill, and we are live at Barasti, where the game is always on. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai I app. It is the grill. Do come on down to Barasti, be part of proceedings. It's a beautiful evening here in Dubai. Uh, we are broadcasting up here on the rooftop garden down here at Barasti. So if you're coming down to Barasti, uh, remember you can't get into the Barasti car park at the moment unless you go via La Meridian Mina Siahi. So go into the hotel and they will direct you accordingly. Then make your way into Barasti and basically look up. Keep going north, as in upwards, and you'll find us up on the rooftop bar and garden. Uh, there are great... Uh, food and beverage deals to be had whilst we are on air, so please do make sure that you come on in here. Uh, enjoy your evening, your Saturday evening, and enjoy your sport as well. Talking of the sport, I've got two great sports alongside me uh, to talk us through some of the big talkers of the week. And, of course, once we get to the business end of the show, between eight and nine, all the goals as they happen. Matt Fortune's alongside me. Great to see you. I haven't seen you for ages. All good? No, very good. Thanks, Tom. Delighted to be back on air. Nice to have you back on air. Thanks Thank so much indeed much. For, for being with us. You've been keeping well? Yeah. Yeah, I've been okay. I've had to keep my head down a little bit the last week or so. I was on there with Chris the Thursday before the Rugby World Cup final and confidently predicted an 11-point swing for England. I know I wasn't the only one. The man to my right actually predicted a 20 or 25-point yeah. victory. But uh, but for me, who having gloated over the Kiwis I work with throughout the week since the semi, I, uh, I kept my head very much down. Um, great to have you on board today. What are you most looking forward to this evening? There is a, a, a rich smorgasbord of sport to be consumed around the world. What one, which one stands out for you? Well, there's a couple of bits for me, Tom, and, and forgive my cynicism, but part of me is looking forward to Unai Emre's last game in charge of Arsenal <laughs> at 9.30 tonight. And then there's a curious eye of mine gazing over towards Los Angeles, where two YouTube boxers are going head-to-head in their first professional bout as a uh, wannabe amateur boxer myself to see two chumps who shout into a camera be given a professional license <laughs> off the back and not very much. I'm, uh, I'm hoping they both get knocked out, to be honest. There is no shortage of sporting entry. Chris McCarty alongside us as well. Uh, have you got over that uh, final at the Rugby World Cup last week? I've, got, I've certainly had a couple of South African friends reminding yeah. me throughout uh, the week. An awful lot of those South African fans as well on our text lines over the course of the week on Offscript on 4001. Always lovely to hear from them. And given the fact that I am a proud Scot, kind of with them, delighted for them. We, we spoke to John Schmidt. You will hear exclusively from him as we go this afternoon, Tom. I am over it, and the more that I think about it, the more I read, the more I listen, absolutely deserved it. And it was South Africa's greatness and not England's yeah, that's true. weaknesses, if I can say that, that won the World Cup and won the Webb Ellis Trophy for the Springboks. So yeah, congratulations to I'm, them again. I'm glad you said that. Let's take nothing away from the Springboks. I think it's a lot. Uh, it's easy to say that England didn't turn up on the day, but they were outplayed. That's they it. They were outplayed. Exactly that. Yes, one or two. And I'm looking at numbers nine and ten. I'm looking at Mr. Youngs and Mr. Ford. Yes, I felt they looked a little nervy, but then in part... 
and I don't want to be myopic, as I was accused of being in the week. In part, that was due to South Africa's tactics, their ferocity in the defensive line. And listen, I know we've moved on from a week and England fans will be like, oh, please give it up. South Africans probably want us to talk about it for the next three hours, but thoroughly deserving. Four years, I think. Well, for the next four. <laughs> and yeah, you're absolutely right. But uh, thoroughly deserving for the Springboks. Uh, listen, what for you on this uh, sporting smorgasbord is the piece that you want to gobble up first? I'm looking forward to the late kickoff in the English Premier League this evening. I'll give you a score update from the early kickoff. We've got a good one at 7 o'clock in what is that under an hour, 55 minutes. Tottenham, Spurs in action. Looking forward to that one. But the 9.30 game, Tom, is the one that's uh, exciting. And is ensured that I've told the missus I'm not going to be home early tonight because it's Leicester City against Arsenal at... Uh, I was going to say the Filbert Street. It's not Filbert Street. It's King Power Stadium, of course. And uh, there is another goal in the early kickoff. I'll give an update on that in just a second. But uh, that's the one I'm looking forward to because I hate to see anyone lose their job. But if Arsenal lose heavily tonight, I think Unai Emery... <laughs> that is the perfect cliffhanger, isn't it? Perfect. That is the perfect cliffhanger. I think Unai Emery... Oh, no, there's been a goal. <laughs> There has been a goal. I'll come back to that thought. Yeah, it's game over <laughs> at Stamford Bridge. It is Chelsea against Crystal Palace in the early kickoff in the English Premier League this afternoon. It was Tammy Abraham who scored his 10th league goal, would you believe? It's he that has reached double figures earlier on this evening. It was he that opened the scoring just about five, ten minutes into the second half. And it's another man who is in a rich vein of form in recent weeks. It's Christian Pulisic, the American, who has scored a little diving header. It's ricocheted off of, I think, a defender. It's fallen to him. He's beaten, I think that's Vicente Gaita the Spaniard goalkeeper in bins, not Wayne Hennessy, he's been left in on the bench and Pulisic, and the smile tells its own story, the American cannot stop scoring he's found the form that we saw at Borussia Dortmund and Chelsea well they're heading for a sixth successive win in the English Premier League and I make this now eight in their last nine games, they can't stop winning Previously on Chris McCarty does Unai Emery, Emery. <laughs> Chris said and Unai Emery, and then we went to a commercial break. What happened next? I think he'll go if they lose heavily tonight. I mean, Matt's the Arsenal fan. He's the one well-connected at the football club. Concur? Yeah, I th well, I'm not, unfortunately not as connected as I used to be to be able to tell you that this is indeed make or break for Unai Emery, but you just have to look at, well, you touch on how well Chelsea have been playing recently and how cohesive a unit they look under a manager that we, we forget only came in in the summer after one year in the dugout as a professional manager, top flight manager. And you look at Unai Emery, who's had over a year now to try and bed in this squad of players who everybody thought were massively underachieving Arsene Wenger, who thought with a fresh pair of eyes might be able to kick on. Arsenal actually getting worse by the yeah. week, Chris. You need only look, I think my favourite thing on social media this week, if any of you saw it, was the Arsenal pass map, com completed passes from their Europa League game on Wednesday night against a third, fourth, fifth rate Portuguese side. Arsenal completed one pass into the box in 90 minutes. And that one pass was a free kick from which they scored, granted. But to have not been able to get with the players they had on the pitch. Yes, there were eight changes from the Premier League game the previous week before. But you have Nicolas Pepe playing there. You've got Gabriel Martinelli, who is one of the form players, certainly in the teenage bracket across Europe. To have nothing going into the area is absolutely bizarre. And I don't see it getting any better tonight. I genuinely believe that Unai Emery has only one game to save himself. I think if he does lose, lose. Uh, heavily or otherwise I think we'll be out I think the only thing that's stopping it is the negotiations happening elsewhere lots to talk about lots of intrigue lots of different uh, moving parts at the moment uh, and lots for us to get our heads around we've got a couple of we've got an early kickoff that's finished over in Spain we'll tell you what happened there some great games to look forward to in Spain uh, some good games over in the Bundesliga as well there's one underway in Italy as we speak at present but you know what when it comes to sport I, I, I like I like a good story <laughs> me in sport you know what you can keep your dark classica you can keep your El Clasico <laughs> because when you've got El Clafico, nothing matter, uh, nothing else matters. It's the derby between teams linked by more than just a road. Both found glory doing things the Brian Clough way. Similar success since has proved hard to navigate, unlike the short drive from one stadium to the other. If you're a player, you like to play these kind of games. A lot of emotion, prestige. It's an exciting game. It's a good challenge for, for us. It's a little bit different than any other week because of the game was coming up and I like it. We will up at the end uh, to make uh, happy and proud our, our fans. 
The happy and proud Clough and Taylor days are, of course, fondly remembered at both clubs. Statues, stand names, photos. It was under Clough that Forrest last beat Derby three times in a row. Nearly three decades on, that could happen again, making it an extra special day for the current manager. What kind of uh, 48th birthday present would three points be on Saturday? <laughs> a very good gift, absolutely. For me, but not just for me, for um, the players, the club, and of course our fans. Birthdays are a time for family, and a brand new member of the Derby family was at their training ground this week, taking up his role as player coach. Yes, United's famous former eight and ten, Wayne Rooney. No, it's very positive, yeah, because um, he, he will still have a break, uh, holiday break, but to have him uh, here to get to know the players. The team and the players get to know him a little bit better. I think uh, it's, it's, it's a great moment now to do it, uh, so he can do a little bit of work, then have a break, and when he comes back, he will join us yeah, every day. Every day, work life in the area has been a bit different this week. Plenty of rivalry and banter between fans. But this time, Forest supporter Luke Webster is being careful not to get carried away, like he did before the League Cup tie against Derby ten weeks ago. Before the game, I think I made a bit of a promise on Twitter to the uh, keeper, Bree Sumba, that if he kept a clean sheet during the game, I'd, um, I'd have his name tattooed on my backside. Um, unfortunately, as the game went, they didn't even have a shot on target. So here we are today. I've been thinking long and hard about it. I think uh, if Bree Sumba scores a goal, <laughs> I'll have one this time. And maybe, maybe I'll, I'll match his name on the other side. This veteran of El Clasico goes into his second El Clofico, four points behind Forrest. Watch the game on telly, tablet, phone or PC. Unless, of course, you've got a much sought-after ticket, the game's a sellout. And despite days of heavy rain and flooding in the area, very few are expected to duck out of this quacker at the city ground. Oh, dearie, dearie me. Uh, come on then, Chris, for many of our very confused listeners out there, what is El Clofico? El Clofico is Nottingham Forest against Derby County, of course, the two teams that were famously managed by the legendary, legendary Brian Clough, a man who had great success at Derby, a man who, lest we forget, led Nottingham Forest to back-to-back -to -back European Cups. It's that wonderful quiz question, which team in world football have won more continental competitions than they have league titles? And that is very much the case with Nottingham Forest. Of course, things have moved on now, and I was remarking to you off air that it's a Frenchman in charge of one <laughs> against a Dutch of the other. It's Sabri Lamucci, who regular followers of European football will be well aware of. Of course, former manager of Ivory Coast as well was Sabri Lamucci. He had spells over in Italy, Parma, I seem to recall, in that wonderful blue and yellow strip. For Derby County, they're managed by arguably an even bigger playing legend, Philip Cuckoo, a man who was the kind of midfield general of the Dutch side under the likes of Dick Advocat going back, Louis van Gaal as well, and a man who's had recent success at PSV Eindhoven. So I've given it the big I am. I can tell you that five minutes remain at the city ground. And I know, Tom, I don't think I've come across a Derby fan out here. I am aware we have a number of Nottingham Forest fans who listen to this very show, and I'm delighted to say they'll be happy. They probably won't be listening because they'll be watching this game. But it is Nottingham Forest 1, Derby County 0, and it's Lewis Grabin, the former Bournemouth striker, who opened the scoring 10 minutes into the second half. So it's nervy over at the city ground into that final five minutes. But as things stand, Nottingham Forest will be picking up the three points. That will be good enough to take them up to fourth in the championship, just two points behind West Brom at the top. I know I, I, I often talk to you about, I marvel at the championship because it sort of goes under the radar of the Premier League a little. But, you know, when we're talking about, I was looking at the fixtures earlier on today, I was talking about, really looking forward to the five, you know, the 7pm kickoffs here in the UAE, in the Premier League, five of them for us to get our teeth around. There's 10 in the championship yeah. at seven. It's brilliant as well, Tom. If I just take a little quick glance down, you've got West Bromwich Albion, former Premier League club, of course, Leeds United. I'll go as far as to say Leeds United, a top 10 club in all of UK football. I truly believe that. Nottingham Forest, Rich history, Swansea, ex-Premier League, Sheffield Wednesday, the fan base that they have in the city, the Steel City over there, Fulham, ex-Premier League, QPR, ex-Premier League, Charlton Athletic, we all remember Scotty Parker, middle of the park, Alan Kerbishley on the bench, Hull City, ex-Premier League, Birmingham City, hate to remind Matthew, but it was they under Alex McLeish that beat Arsenal in the League Cup a few years back. You've got Cardiff City, Derby County, Blackburn, for goodness sake, our former Premier League champions, Huddersfield Town, Reading, Wigan Athletic, famously under Roberto Martinez, won the FA Cup, beating Manchester City. You've got Middlesbrough in there as well. And then propping up the bottom, 
You've got Stoke City. I mean, Stoke City were a Premier League club for the best part of a decade. That shows you the strength and depth. I'm a huge fan of the Championship. It's a league that gets huge crowds in because of the size of those clubs. And it is one of, if not the most competitive league in world football. Would you concur, Mr Fortune? Yeah, it's certainly it's rich with narrative. And I think you, the great thing about it at the start of the season, it's a classic, you just don't know who's going to come up. It's very, very rare. Even sides that come down from the Premier League, it's very rare that they're them favourites to bounce straight back up. And when you look at sleeping giants, shall we say, like Leeds United that have been knocking on that door for so long, and it's such an investment to try and get into the Premier League because we know how big those riches are, that the fact that a lot of teams can be favourites up until maybe March, April time and still lose it because of the burden of pressure that if you don't quite make it and you look at the club like Derby County, they finished sixth, I think, about three or four of the last seasons, but they just don't quite make it and they have to reset every single time. So for that sense, it's absolutely fascinating to keep an eye on. Here's a great start for you, Tom, and I'll keep this brief. Liverpool top of the Premier League on 31. Okay, you go back eight points, it only takes you to Leicester. The gap is eight points between Liverpool and Leicester in fourth. You compare and contrast that to the Championship, and this just illustrates and I guess crystallises exactly my point. If you go eight points in the Championship, it takes you down to 12th. <laughs> Birmingham City, it's 30 points West Brom down to Birmingham City with 22. If you go one more, Chris, it's another three positions further down to 15th. That's incredibly tight. And we're still at, we're 11 games into the yeah. season and there's no one pulling away, which is a surprise. It's interesting as well for me where, you know, we've got so much focus on the Premier League uh, and the media machine that is the Premier League, the worldwide and things like that does a, do such a good job of putting it in front of you all the time. But then when you mention the fact that I didn't even know that Philip Koku was, was, was managing in, in and then I saw Slava Bilic was down there as well at the moment. As well. I mean, are these the people that days were when if you managed a Premier League team, you would never yeah. think about managing anything other than a Premier League team. And yet now... It's seen as a good alternative. Uh, massively, and it's led by arguably the best of them all, Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah. This is a man who Pep Guardiola, and, and I've reiterated this story, and I appreciate I'm probably sounding like a broken record. This is a man who boarded a flight to head on over to Marcelo Bielsa's ranch in Argentina to spend a little under 48 hours with him. He wanted to pick his brains, and he came away from that saying it was the best 48 hours that he spent in his life just talking to a former scholar of football. You throw in the fact, as you say, Philippe Cacou, Sabri Lamucci is there as well, Slavan Bilic. These are massive names. Yeah. These are names who five years ago would have been going for top jobs in the English Premier League. Now, there's two schools of thought to that. There's There are young coaches coming through that are more than earning their stripes. Graham Potter, case in point, at Brighton and Hove Albion. Equally, though, it is showing the strength and depth. There are some monster clubs, make no mistake about it, some huge clubs in the Championship. They need big managers, they need big egos and big personalities, and thankfully they're getting that. Well, that's the thing. If you look at the money, they call the playoff final, don't they? The £100 million yeah. game, the £500 million dirham match just one piece showdown so if that's the opportunity that you have by being promoted you invest heavily in a good manager and I think that's what we've proved in recent years certainly is that a good manager is almost better than splashing the cash yeah. on a couple of good players you look at Manchester United as a prime example they splashed all the big money on the big players they thought were right but they haven't got the right man in charge yeah. and that's the big big problem if you put the right man in charge look at Frank Lampard I know he didn't bring Derby up but you put Lampard in charge with young hungry players a smart coach and then you make progress so that's where the investment is going got to take short break uh, to keep the sponsors happy and then of course we'll be back with more sport chat right here on the grill live down here at Barasti Unbelievable goal This is the grill live from Barasti where the game is always on Yeah let's give you another score update from the Premier League and the Championship if we can Chris McCarty's keeping over these for us Yeah we're into the final minute I think it is of added on time at Stamford Bridge it's been a pretty comfortable afternoon for Frank Lampard's Chelsea there he is giving a, a little round of applause to the fans who continue to sing Super Frankie Lampard uh, throughout Stamford Bridge it's been another good win it's been six now on the bounce they are 2-0 up our Chelsea and I've got to say I said it in midweek and I think it was Matt that joined me at the start of the week Chelsea Tom and I don't know if you'll concur given the fact that of course you are a hammers they're likeable again yeah. all of a sudden yeah, they're likeable I was listening, listening in to, uh, with interest to that to that chat and I thought it was a really good point um, why my son Manchester United fan Loving Chelsea at the moment. Tammy Abraham, one of his sort of pin-up boys, uh, very, doing great things for him in his uh, in his fancy league team. He, he loves 
the youth, and I yeah. think that's the thing that, that, that he's really... And it's interesting because I read an article as well saying how, isn't it funny that the, 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 the transfer ban has actually worked in their favour mm, in many ways? It absolutely yeah. has. And then when you bring in a Frank Lampard who is wedded to that, he deserves an awful lot of credit. There is the full-time whistle. It has finished 2-0. I'm conscious I should give you a bit of background. Tammy Abraham with his 10th league goal in 12 games. It was he that opened the scoring. Christian Pulisic, who has come into this side in favour of Callum Hudson-Odoi, who I'm a huge fan of, but Pulisic has had to bide his time, he's waited for the opportunity and then he has repaid the faith shown in him in recent weeks in kind. Of course he got a hat-trick, did he not, back at Burnley a few weeks back and he is limping just now as Christian Pulisic, but he will be a happy boy. Chelsea have won it by two goals to nil, Abraham and Pulisic on the score sheet and going back to it, Rhys James, Tomori, Mason Mount, Pulisic himself, Abraham, there's a nucleus of young, hungry, British talent when I look at Abraham, when I look at Callum Hudson-Odoi as well, James. That is excellent. And if I was, and I said this at the start of the season, if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be cock-a-hoop right now. And that is six on the bounce. And fair play, that's them up to second, isn't it? So as things stand, second. we've got yeah, obviously Liverpool, points, yeah. they're up to six. Yeah, they are. A yeah. point clear of Man City. But let me just say on, on the Chelsea thing, and I think that's the difference now. If you look across the other clubs, excluding the top two, of course, is they have a definitive style. The playing staff, of course, is one thing. It's the youth. It's that expression that they have. But there is a very, very definitive style. You kind of not know what you're going to get. The funny thing with today that's really surprised me is that's a clean sheet. I was just trying to find exactly when their last one or they strung a couple together. Of course, they shipped four against Ajax in midweek. They've been very leaky at the back, Chelsea, but you know that they're going to score goals. It's because they play with a little bit of freedom. There's a lot of trust in each other that they put. They play the ball along the back. The keeper's good with his feet. Midfield, take it into feet. There's so much to like and admire, but you look at the teams around them, the other traditional big six Arsenal no identity no. whatsoever Manchester United no identity whatsoever even Tottenham you could say that a lot of the struggles that Tottenham are experiencing is the style that they became what they are currently under Mauricio Pochettino is sort of falling by the wayside yeah. and that is what the big difference is with Chelsea it's a great point about the clean sheets you look at the recent fixture lists six wins on the bounce in the English Premier League and crucially 2-0 home to Brighton started off the run they then won 4-1 at Southampton. They then beat Newcastle United 1-0 at home. They beat Burnley 4-2. They beat Watford 2-1. And again at the bridge, they've won 2-0 today. So in their last three league games, they've kept three clean sheets at home. I think more exciting, though, is on the road. They're finding goals not hard to come by. Three at Norwich, five at Wolves, four at Southampton, four at Burnley. So Frank Lampard, if he can decant what he's doing right now, they're a bit stuffy at home, they're struggling a little bit to break teams down, but that means they're keeping clean sheets away from home, they're playing with an abandonment that is giving them this rich pickings, they're scoring goals for fun, they've got Abraham, they've got Mount, they've got Callum Hudson-Odoi, they've got Pedro to come back in, they've got Villian, Kante fit to start today, I tell you now, I'm almost talking myself into becoming a Chelsea fan <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what we are allowed, aren't you? You're allowed one North team, one Southern well, team, you know, you well can we? If yeah, you can the have case. a northern team and a southern team. My southern team is, is his northern team, not Aberdeen, and his southern team, Manchester <laughs> yes, yes, United. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what I also love about it as well is that Frank Lampard's stock's going through the roof yeah, as well. I mean, Given the fact that he, you know, he can't buy big with a transfer, there's all sorts of problems with the with, with the owner there at the moment and, and his sort of status in the UK, not just in football. Uh, uh, he's been limited with what he can do, but the fact that he's stuck by his guns as well, despite raising dissent and, uh, and a lot of criticism at the beginning of the season and saying he's out of his depth and he shouldn't be bringing through these uh, these championship players he's stuck by those guns and looks what happened, what's uh, what's exactly that Tom and then I believe the uh, I think there is a meeting there is a court case to be had later this month they're appealing that ban and already again if you believe the, the tabloid tittle tattle it will tell you Ben Chilwell from Leicester is a big target in January if the ban is suspended Timo Werner who scored that hat-trick in RB Leipzig's 8-0 win over Mainz last weekend he's been talked about as well so the the scary thing in many respects is wonderful team that there is now but that ban's not forever when that does end and Lampard's given some funds I can only see Chelsea improving on that now of course you can upset the apple cart a little bit it means that if you're bringing new players in they've got to settle into the environment etc but equally being able to go out and do your due diligence, find players that you believe will improve you can only help the mounts the Abrahams the Callum Hudson Adoys of this world I'd you're absolutely right, Chris. And I, don't, I don't want to be contrary just for the sake of it, but I do worry that you're almost like uh, it's almost like a lottery win. 
you almost you, you don't want to run straight into the car showroom when you win True. the lottery and be and be and buy the most expensive, fastest, most ridiculous car that you possibly can do if you haven't even passed your driving test yet. And Lampard is still in that learning phase of his career, and I think he's proved his strength is dealing with players that can look up to and admire yeah. him as a player. Players that would have been in the Chelsea youth team while Frank was still playing. You look at them, Mount Abraham, they were all there. They would have gazed across the car park when they were coming in as kids, 15, 16 year olds, and thought that's Frank Lampard yeah. over there and now they look up and admire I'm not so sure a big money centre forward is going to look at Frank Lampard who only ever played in England and I'm taking anything away from him a player a wonderful player is going to look at him and get that same thing from him that the youngsters they, they, they might not do that but what they do look at is Chelsea Football Club West London and the missus will be happy that it's the capital <laughs> as well and not Manchester or Newcastle dare I say uh, let's just go over to Italy very quickly because we've got an early kick-off there and it's the visitors doing the damage. It's pressure against Torino and Andrea Belletti is the toast of Torino at the moment. Not one, but two penalties for Belotti in the space of just under 10 minutes. The first on 17, the second on 26. Uh, not half an hour played yet there and yet they're 2-0 up. Yeah, Brescia are struggling. Mario Balotelli, of course, has been making all the headlines in the past few weeks. And, uh, yeah, Brescia are struggling. Sandro Tonali is a fine midfielder, a young midfielder who will get a big move, if not January, next summer. He is a rock star, an absolute Rolls-Royce in the centre of the park. Other than that, though, Brescia, I hate to say it, they're a Serie A B team. They really are. They've rolled the dice with Mario, as Brendan Rodgers in Liverpool did all those years ago, and it came back to bite them on the backside. It's kind of happening again. As for Torino, I tell you what, Walter Mazzari, the former Watford coach, he's, oh, done, yeah. an all, he's done an all right job there. And Andrea Belletti as well, who has been Belotti, has been linked with a lot of Premier League clubs. He is just tailor-made for Serie A football. I know it's two penalties today. He's a penalty box predator. He's one of those throwbacks, is Andrea Belotti, and it's his two goals that see Torino well on their way to three points. Talking of penalties, there was also one a little earlier on over in Spain. There was a really early kickoff in La Liga today. Full-time down there. Sees the home team take the three points uh, through uh, three goals as well. Alaves beating Valladolid by three goals to nil. I think the last of those three goals was a penalty from Perez. Uh, who got the others? Yeah, I can tell you, Alaves are absolutely flying as they were last season. I say flying. They did fly last season. They've kind of, they're mid-table a little bit this season, but that being said, that's a big win for them against the Real Valladolid side, who, lest we forget, are owned by the original Ronaldo. Oh, that's yeah. the club that he's pitched up at to invest his cash. And you're right, Hosselu scored the opener. Thomas Pina scored the second. And one of your own, Lucas Perez, yeah. who was awful. I mean, Arsenal. Also one of our own, yeah. indeed, yeah. Arsenal and West Ham, after he banged them in at Deportivo, he's found himself now at Alaves, and he was the one to score well, the third from the penalty The, the funny thing that he comes up today, of course, he was the player that Arsenal fell back on once they were rejected by Jamie Vardy just a few course, summers yeah. ago, if you remember rightly, that Jamie Vardy, the bid was accepted. Yes. Arsenal met a buyout clause for Jamie Vardy at the time when Leicester were being shorn, a lot of, uh, shorn of a lot of their Premier League winning teams. And Vardy decided, actually, no, that's, that's not the right move for me. And after a shaky second season under Claudio Ranieri, he certainly proved himself to be making the right decision there. Yeah, and it was disastrous to us because he didn't like playing second fiddle. Uh, he didn't like playing on the bench. He got a couple of goals for us coming off yeah, the bench and things like that. But obviously with... Uh, Arnautovic Arnautovic Chicharito yeah Arnautovic was obviously the, the go-to man whilst he was uh, still on talking terms with Manuel Pellegrini Pellegrini's under the cosh if they lose this oh. weekend I mean we talk about teams going backwards and things like that and who was it today was it um, someone was uh, was it Declan Rice I think Declan Rice I don't know if he's had a knock on the head or something like that <laughs> recently yeah, he was did an interview with Sky News I was watching it earlier on today um, Sky Sports News and Declan Rice uh, was there sort of say yeah 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 I reckon uh, you know it's not uh, beyond the, uh, the, the 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 expectations wildest expectations it's not beyond the realms of uh, of real reality that will be top six at the end of the season and I what? looked at him and went have you have you watched yourself on videos for the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Yeah, they've been rotten halfway. You've got time. more chance of being in the top six for the Christmas number one than you have <laughs> of being top six in the Premier League at the end of the season. Oh jeepers! I mean, listen, you've got to praise him. At least he's been positive. But that, again, it's another... It, it's so strange when you see that collection of really good footballers there. Felipe Luis, Yarmolenko, these are good, good players. You've got good centre-halves, but you just can't seem to get a tune out of them. I don't know what it is. Some managers... I thought Pellegrini was the perfect yeah. fit for West Ham United. He did so well. He built his reputation almost in at least the last decade, 15 years, of doing such a great job at Malaga, who were not a traditionally big side in Spain, but really upset the apple cart of that top two, top four in La Liga. I thought West Ham, perfect fit, good investment, good foundation 
foundation of players, young, English, but then that little sprinkling of magic, and it just hasn't switched. Do send us your thoughts, please. Text them to us on 400. I worry about West Ham. I know we're going to go through team news in a little while as well, uh, but I worry about them. I, 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 actually, I'm not as worried this week as I was last week. Uh, why? Because they're not at home. West Ham <laughs> at home are awful. They're dreadful at the moment. They've got more of a chance away from home. We'll wait and see. We'll give you some team news on all of the 7pms, uh, either before 7 or ju just after kickoff as well. So make sure you keep your thoughts coming through to us on 4001. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Indeed we are. We are live down here at Barasti. We're getting very excited about our 7 o'clock kickoffs in the Premier League. Uh, if you would like to share your thoughts on all things sport, you know the numbers. Text us please on 4001. Uh, we've got that full time in the Premier League. Chelsea taking all the points. But what about El Clofico? Forget the Premier League. <laughs> What's happened in El Clofico uh, over the course of the last few hours? It's not good news if you are a Ram. If you are a Derby County fan, then you might want to turn your volume down now because I can tell you that Nottingham Forest have taken the three points at the city ground this afternoon. It was Lewis Grabin on the score sheet and I'm told that Lewis Grabin is on 35 grand a week was from a very good wow. source to me and that's the championship 35 grand so yeah. 20 grand a week's a million quid so that's 1.75 million quid that that man is getting for playing in the championship extraordinary sums of money and it's he that scored the winner of course Forest fans won't be complaining about that this evening he has scored the only goal of the game Nottingham Forest march up to fourth Derby County still languishing in 15th let me ask you this, Chris, talking about wages in the Championship. How much do you think Wayne Rooney will oh. be getting when he swans into Derby County oh, come January? Well, as you well know, the sponsors are picking up the tab <laughs> for that. So will that be pushing six figures a week? I have my doubts. It will undoubtedly be above the 60 grand a week mark, however. Yeah, 60 to 80. And it's the, the tab's been picked up by their sponsors, very well-known sponsors over in that part of the world. and you have to, to wear a jersey for it? To the it? point where he's wearing the number yeah. that is associated yeah, with that yeah. sponsor. Oh, it's... it's oh, <laughs> man, that's just... That's football, it, it, I guess. It, it's it leaves even youngsters like us harking back for the good old days oh, eh? before that used to happen. Absolutely. Talking of wages, though, I just want to move, uh, shift our focus to another sport that's obviously taken the headlines this week uh, and the penalties uh, levelled on Saracens Rugby Club um, during the week, uh, which I think came as a bit of a surprise, well, not just a bit of a surprise, a huge surprise to so many. I mean, I was, I was getting updates from uh, our friend uh, uh, Toby Gregory, who was keeping you updated on the whole thing. Not so much. I think we all expected them to be penalised, but the, the, the level of the penalisation, the fine, the fine was significant, and as were the points deduction. Oh, 35 points, as well as an over 5, 5.1, 5.2, depending on which conversion you're working on, million pound fine. I mean, just to put that into some kind of context, we have seen vulgar racist chanting and FIFA meet out tens of thousands of pounds fines to FA's Tom. We're talking about the richest sport in football. Now I'm not for one second condoning what Saracens have done. Then again I'm hearing from good sources that it's the tip of the iceberg. Not the only ones yeah. that have been dabbling in this and there may be more to come from this story in the coming days and weeks but it was extraordinary. And from speaking to the same source, Mr Gregory, of course, a, a respected rugby journalist back in his day before he moved into the world of PR, etc. You know, he's of the belief I that... lost all that respect. And lost everyone's respect from there. But, you know, he was making the point that it will go to appeal and maybe, just maybe, the fine will be whittled down. The points is going nowhere, though. The points, the big the big point wow, differential really? will, will stick around. He reckons the fine, because it's a grey area, it was like, uh, and again, we go back to it. Remember the Marcelo Bielsa, Spygate with Leeds United, when he had the fella in the woods spying on all the championship clubs. And the FA came down hard on him because, as usual, oh, this goes against the character and, and all the rest of it. Well, well, where does it say in the rules? Nothing in the rules. It's one of those grey areas that they took advantage of. This is a little bit of a kind of backdoor taking advantage of the fact that you're paying your players a little bit extra on the side through various companies that are set up. No real rules for it. It's just been to be made an example of. But it's it's cheating, Chris. And I'd be very careful how I try and phrase this thing. I, I think you're on. <laughs> yeah, I think the lawyers are listening. I think, I no, no. I think the, I love the I love the, that that sentence. No, it's cheating, Chris. I've got to be really careful how I <laughs> how I phrase this sentence. No, no. I think no, what I was saying is that you're rewind. <laughs> 
<laughs> Link, drawing the comparisons as you do between the paltry and absolutely pathetic fines that are given out around racism, I'm not for one second suggesting that, that they, they are appropriate. What I mean to say is this is it's cheating. It's financial doping. It is unbalancing all that we believe sport can possibly be. Something like race is racism, sorry, is a completely different element which requires far greater sanctions and actually education way beyond the realms of sport. This, what Saracens did, and I, I don't pretend to be clued up on all of the financial institutions involved in sport, especially in, in premiership rugby, but it was cheating. And what you're doing is taking away such buy-in from all of these people that watch and hope especially somewhere where they've gone to the lengths of putting in a salary cap to try and even the field a little bit more and get buy-in from people to really believe in what they're seeing out on the field so cheating to my mind absolutely deserves to be come on down hard I'll, t- I'll come back at you and again i'm not i'm being facetious a little bit on this and i'm just presenting another argument and on 4001 i know we've got a lot of rugby lovers that listen to this show equally however england got to the rugby world cup final the reason that Saracens have done what they've done is to try and keep the talent pool in the country. Because when you've got France spending the money that they've got, an Owen Farrell, a Maro Etoj of this world, they're gazing over at what the boys are earning over in France and thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm as good, if not better, as some of those boys. They're being told to stay in England because they obviously have aspirations of representing England and, and, and playing and winning World Cups for England. So you get into this kind of mess that it currently is, that the salary cap, what it's doing is... Yes, it's trying to protect the, the future of rugby in England, but it's out of step and out of kilter with the rest of the world right now, whereby those players, the Atoshes this world, the Farrells of this world, they want to earn top dollar. And the only way that they can do that, or at least Saracens have looked at it, is in the only way we can pop up your, uh, top up your salaries is by doing this. But it's not, the, it's not Saracens' responsibility, Chris. It's the league's responsibility. It's up to Saracens to, to gather with all of the other clubs and say, right, this is what the problem is now. How do we go about presenting a case to the league to explain ways around this? I appreciate that there are differing financial powers involved within the league at those club levels, but it's not Saracen's responsibility to cheat. Let's cast our mind back, blimey, six, seven years ago to Bloodgate. Yeah. Ultimately, that's not really that big of an deal. It was the it was the offence of one guy who had to go and have stitches put in his lip. But what he was doing was cheating. He was taking the integrity of the game yeah, and using it to their advantage. And ultimately if sport is going to be about cheating, you look at it in in cycling, the discredited performances of everybody in the Tour de France from about nineteen ninety to about two thousand and six made it so so difficult for anyone to truly believe what they were seeing. And sport for so many of us is about escaping into this other realm of something that is just a fairy tale that we don't know what's going to happen. And actually, it turns out that people at the top are manipulating everything and it's all uh, weight towards one other team. It's just not very nice to happen. As a rugby man, as a Gloucester fan, Thomas, where are we sitting on this? I was going to say that, you know, uh, there is a silver lining to this impending (laughs) thunderstorm of uh, hell, which uh, is is over Saracens at the moment. That's the fact that they come to King's home today. Uh, (laughs) So not only are they minus 23 if, of course, uh, it gets upheld, uh, but they haven't got any of their England fans, uh, stars either because they're all being rested. So uh, there couldn't really be a better time for Gloucester <laughs> to be playing Saracens at King's Home so in front of the you're a happy man. Uh, but I'm not happy about the suggestions, and I understand that, as you rightly said, this is the tip of the iceberg, and uh, they have been singled out for, for, for this uh, reprimand, but more are to follow, I'm told, yeah. because this has been going on for a long time, and you take into account that Saracens have dominated the English d- domestic game for, what, the last three, four years in terms of silverware. What does that mean for, you know, the last couple of finals yeah. uh, in the Euro- in European competition, but also in domestic competition? Uh, Exeter Chiefs, who claim that they have done nothing wrong at all in recent years. Does that mean that they will be crowned champions? Can they lodge some sort of appeal against those very, very narrow defeats that they had in playoff finals against, uh, against, the, against Saracens in recent years? There are so many things to come out of this um, but the fact that Saracens have been doing this for so long they got a point where other clubs just turned around and said look they're doing it yeah why can't we well let me take you back to the cycling analogy that was the thing Lance Armstrong always said I just cheated better than everybody else was yeah. doing it and so you kind of think and I'm strangely of the belief that actual doping in sport I know it's a separate subject you almost just need to say do you know what 
none of it's against the rules when it comes to that sort of thing because then you level the playing field completely and it's just based on who can do whatever they possibly can to get that in but at least you know then at least you know you're that what you're seeing has everybody. substances you're still no, no, I know that's just as an example if you, you take away the salary cap fine and then it's just you know what you're looking at you know everybody's doing whatever they're doing and I think that's almost the solution you have to get to I'm also interested to see what happens today as well. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how Saracens bounce back from from this particular issue. But it, it, you know, there is there is more to come. Reason being, I was just sort of going through the list of the top ten played uh, paid um, uh, Premier League uh, uh, rugby players in the in the Gallagher Premiership uh, this year. Who's the, who's the best played uh, rugby player in the in the, in the Gallagher paid. Premiership? Is it not the fail at Bristol? It is. Yeah, Pilatau at Bristol, yeah, who's just been brought in. One point two million. Your man, Steve Lansdowne. It's just thrown money. He's the owner of Bristol City Football Club. 1.2 million he's been paid for his... Uh, uh, for a year. He's the first million pound man in, for, in rugby. Now, if you consider that, what is the cap? Seven million or something like that? Yeah. Holy... So, so he's taken a seventh of that. What are you doing with the other 34 players in your yeah. squad? What does that tell Before you? you've even talked to the academy, they'll, they'll all those coming boys. Yeah, there'll be young boys on 70, 60, 70, a, a salary that, you know... A civil engineer, for example, will be picking up. Well, that's this is what they say in any in any sport, any walk of life. I mean, you're going to be devastated to find out what Chris is earning for sitting here with us, Tom. <laughs> but you know, what, you know what happens when uh, Alexis Sanchez walks yeah. into Manchester United on 500 grand a week. Somebody else will say, anybody will look at them and think, uh, "Hello, a second. I've been he's been rubbish for about a year, that's it. and and you've got to splash this sort of cash, and then and rightly so. And that's what the problem. It spirals wildly out of control, and that's why I'm, I actually support the salary cap as a it needs to be a little bit flexible in certain walks of life, of course. But I do think if you're giving someone that much of an imbalance to the rest of the squad, what does it do for everybody else's morale? Do send us your thoughts on this one. I'm sure you have plenty. Text us on 4001. Or better still, come on down here to Barasti. Uh, I can see that the bin bags are being, wrapped, are being ripped off the taps now. We are 13 minutes away from what I'm sure is going to be a tsunami of people uh, coming down here to Barasti. Parched. Uh, 4001 if you want to have your say get your thoughts into us uh, we're talking salary caps at the moment is there a place for salary caps in sport if so how so you're listening to the grill more of the biggest sports stories now on dubai i 103.8 so plenty of rugby to look forward to after seven o'clock plenty of football to look forward to we'll keep an eye on the golf for you uh, and there is cricket ongoing as we speak as well there is an international being played uh, at present Afghanistan taking on the West Indies in this ODI series between the two Afghanistan need 122 runs to win with 21 overs remaining and five wickets intact they're 126 for the loss of five wickets uh, uh, West Indies were 247 for the loss of nine from their 50 overs uh, we were mentioning the fact that there is a um, interesting game over in uh, Germany a little later on uh, the Klassiker Der Klassiker is coming your way uh, I want to get thoughts from uh, from my esteemed guest on that in just a few moments time uh, but not though before I don't know if I've mentioned this to you I know I did it at the beginning of the season but if you have if you get an opportunity to go to uh, to the 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 um, Bundesliga official YouTube page, do because I don't know whether it's something to do with with rights or whatever. But whoever is creating the content for for the Bundesliga this year is obviously just like a cartoon Marvel freak or something like that. Because they're net, it's always sort of montages and cartoons that they do all their pieces in. So imagine my surprise when I saw this one a little earlier on. They call it the Classica Endgame. <laughs> They are brilliant footballers and they spice up every game. It's an absolute beauty from Serge Gnabry. Jaden Sancho celebrates in front of the yellow wall. The two youngsters go head to head. Enjoy. Both players are up there among the biggest... Saturday, two superhero worlds collide. Starring FC Bayern Munchen's X-Men and Borussia Dortmund's title Avengers. I keep telling people to move on from not winning the league, but not us, no us. Introducing Felipe Coutinho as the Brazilian Phoenix. There is a force inside of you. It must rise. Roman Berkey as Thor. Serge Canabry as Nightcrawler. 
famous artist Spider-Man. Sorry, Togan. We lost the rights to this character. Well, I did think it would make more sense if I was Thor anyway. Position take. Correction, Togan Azard as Star-Lord. Ready? Manuel Neuer as Magneto. Ready! Jaden Sancho returning as Jaden Spoiler alert, didn't you die in the last movie? Phase 4 spoiler alert, I got rebooted. We love you 3000. Benjamin Pavard as Cyclops. You won't like me when I'm angry. Then I best not remind you we finished second by two points last year then. Uh, almost smashed! Max Hurls as the Hulk. Quicksilver? Because I'm so quick with the jokes. <laughs> All we need now is a segue. I already have one. Perfect. Now we have a segue to the next to scene. I can't listen to it all. Take it off. Take it off, please. What uh, on earth is that? <laughs> <laughs> Who has taken over the Bundesliga YouTube page? Well, all I'm thinking is I sort of work in content when I'm not on the grill, so maybe <laughs> I might be sending my CV in if that's the best they've got. Uh, McCarty's <laughs> just pulled it up as well. It's just a weird one, isn't it? Because it's it's, 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 it's such a significant game, and we're sort of uh, and, and they do that with it. But um, Philip Coutinho, the Brazilian Phoenix. I am watching it. It is three minutes in three. <laughs> Quality control is out the window at the Bundesliga offices because that was just bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. My, fa- my favourite, my favourite bit was when they killed off Jaden Sancho and made his rebirth German. I mean, I know he's done well since he left Manchester City, but they can't have him. He's made him one of their own, that's for sure. Uh, let's get have a quick one on that uh, that game though, because that's uh, an intriguing clash given uh, what's gone before with these two teams. It certainly is, and given the fact that, of course, Bayern Munich this past week uh, sacked their manager Nico Kovac in the wake of that, and we were sat here, weren't we, last week commentating on it that five-one defeat. At Eintracht Frankfurt. Of course, Jerome Boateng was sent off inside the first 10 minutes, but then it was very much downed tools. I don't want to take anything away from Frankfurt, but the writing was on the wall then. Arsene Wenger has been mooted as a potential replacement. Jose Mourinho's name isn't too far away from that. Max Allegri and Eric Ten Hag as well, who had a spell in actual fact as Bayern Munich's under-23 manager a few years back. So there are a number of names in the mix for that. They go in with their caretaker manager this evening. It is at the Allianz Arena, and they're going up against a Dortmund side that has really kind of failed to convince all that much this season. They start the day in fourth through Dortmund, Bayern a point back in sixth. It will always be a cracking match. It's the biggest in German football by a country mile. 9.30 kick-off and let battle commence. And quickly as well, Robert, uh, Robert, Robert Lewandowski looking to continue his remarkable run of goal scoring. He's scored in every single match, league and cup this season, in which he's played. 14 games. Let me ask you this, Chris, about Robert Lewandowski. Uh, this is not my opinion. I'm just curious to know your opinion on it because I know you have a real fancy for, for number nines and good, proper centre-forwards. What's your shame? How, <laughs> a, how good is he? Amazing. And B, do you think he gets the credit that he deserves because he is very, very rarely mentioned? If anybody was to say, list the 10 best players in the world right now, I don't think he comes up all yeah, too often uh, enough. In recent weeks, he's been getting a lot of love. I, I was engaged in a little Twitter war with a couple of journals over in this part of the world at the start of the season when I did. I'm just jumping in and giving my opinion. I don't do it enough. And uh, I just said Robert Lewandowski's the best number nine in, in world football. And a lot of people point out, oh, he, does it. he never does it in big games. And it's ridiculous. He scored four against Real Madrid and I know I'm going back a number of years but he scored four goals against Real Madrid when he was in Dortmund in a Champions League semi-final he has scored numerous goals I think he's actually is he level or one ahead of Gert Müller in German Cup finals and he's a man that scores goals he scored 20 in 14 games at the start of this season and he's 31 now he's absolutely in his pomp and I think the man that we're just looking at in actual fact on our screens now Harry Kane I see a lot of Harry Kane in Robert Lewandowski or vice versa I see a bit of Lewandowski in Kane obviously Kane needs to refine a little bit but what Lewandowski is he's equally adept at playing as a number 10 bringing others into play as he is a number 9 as a goal scorer he's got a great IQ I see a bit of Van Persie in him I see a bit of Demetar Berbatov in him he's elegant he's elegant he's languid as well at times but my goodness he can score goals and it was a real kind of eye opener against Spurs the 7-2 game a couple of weeks back 
I'd implore any of you to go back and look at the goals there. Look at Robert Lewandowski's two goals that he scores. They are they're so unique in, in the way that, that, that he kind of finishes them that you're like, that's not a kind of standard number nine, not a standard striker. He takes them both early, he zings one in the corner, he takes one early, that beat Hugo Lloris all ends up. I, I am firmly of the belief, take Ronaldo and Messi out of the equation, I don't consider them number nines, he's the best number nine in world football. Can we have a quick word as well, because we're talking about your, you and your Twitter tirades at the moment. <laughs> what have Keys and Gray done wrong to d demand the, the, <laughs> the digital wrath yeah. of Chris McCarty? They annoy me on a weekly basis. Oh. I hate, and I've started doing it on off script as well, Tom. It's terrible, and I hate picking at fellow professionals, but they've just got their own little agendas and the VAR nonsense. It masks the fact that they're just bang average at actually analysing games. I hate going after fellow professionals. And I've just done it. <laughs> <laughs> they're bang Well, as, yeah. a, as, a, as a good friend of yours who laments your inability to reply to my WhatsApps, I'm a little bit annoyed that you're just on Twitter the rest of the time <laughs> sorry, having Mark. a go at everybody else. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, one final one before, squeeze it in before we go to uh, the uh, break at the top of the hour. And of course, the seven o'clock kickoff. So all the games, uh, coming out, the players coming out a little bit earlier because of the Remembrance Sunday celebrations or, or recognitions, not so much celebrations, uh, at all the games this week. Uh, weekend. Um, Scotland, I want to quick talk, talk quickly about Scotland for you. What's going on at Edinburgh? Edinburgh clubs seem to be managerless at the moment. Oh, the, the Hearts and Hibs are in the mire. It's so, because you compare and contrast that to Celtic and Rangers yeah. and what they did in Europe this past week, and I've got to, it's not often I can get on my soapbox and wave the flag for Scotland, but a 2-0 win for Rangers over Porto. I mean, this is FC Porto, Tom. This is a team that's perennial Champions League team, for goodness sake. 2-0 win on Thursday. Celtic then go over to Stadio Olimpico, albeit Lazio are not the force they were under Sven Joran Eriksson 15, 20 years ago, but still, they go there and win on Italian soil for the very first time. They're 13 attempt. Celtic and Rangers flying the flag, you've got to give all the credit in the world to both of those. In Edinburgh, they've fallen off a cliff. Two massive teams, make no mistake, Hearts and Hibs, anyone from that region and area will tell you they're big clubs, both manager listen. Paul Heckenbottom? Is, is he gone? Gone. He is gone. I and then Eddie, of course, Craig, Craig Levine. Eddie May's come in as caretaker. Caretaker, manager. Eddie May's been around that club for about 100 years, has Eddie May. Decent player back in his day, he won't be the man long term. And then of course, Craig Levine fell on his sword, so two good jobs. I tell you what, two really good jobs. Fancy for managers. I would love it. Yeah, just I'll get my CV in. Uh, Andy Gray and Richard Keyes as yeah, my assistant, assistant coaches. Coach. <laughs> I was going to say that. They can be bad cop, I'll be good I'll cop. Get, get the fella from the Bundesliga to do your social media and he'll be right back <laughs> at the top of the SPL. Hibs will be top of the league in no time. Hibs are managerless. Stuart Lovell, former Hibs midfielder, thinks that Daniel Stendel would be a perfect fit. I think that um, if you're looking for someone who fits the bill, um, which is, you know, that, that brand of football that the supporters have come to expect, open attacking football, free-flowing football, score more goals than the opposition, don't really care how many it is, then you're, 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 you're going to need to cast the net far and wide. And, and I guess that brings in, you know, the likes of Daniel Stendhal, who was at Barnsley, who, who got promoted, got them from League, league uh, One to the Championship. Mm. Um, with that brand of football that I think the supporters, by all accounts, the Barnsley fans were, were really upset when he left because they loved the way that the team played. And, um, and I think in that regard, you could probably look back on how the supporters felt here when Neil Lennon left because he had that, you know, he understood what the supporters want and he gave it to them. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.